Welcome to This Girl Puts Out, where we talk to real people with real stories about real life stuff. I'm your host, Carmen Caretta. This particular episode is one in a series about achieving health through weight reduction and management. I talk to individuals sharing their personal stories, as well as experts who shed light on the good, the bad, and the ugly of losing weight. So many of us struggle with weight, body image, and confidence. Why not put it all out there so we can support each other and learn? If you've got a story to share, please visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome, everyone, to This Girl Puts Out. Um, We are continuing in our series today on weight management and getting healthy through weight management. And today we're going to be talking to someone who um, has pretty much transformed her way of thinking around eating. And uh, she's also... uh, transformed it into what she does for a living. So, but her personal story is, is really important, I think, for us to, to hear. So I want to introduce everyone to Jess Brock Pitts and Jess is an LCSW. So she's a licensed social worker. She is a runner. She is a gym class dropout turned certified personal trainer. I love that. And she is a group fitness instructor. Um, Jess is an advocate for body positive fitness and intuitive eating and health at every size. So I just love everything about that bio. Um, She also runs Enlighten Well LLC, which is a virtual fitness studio. And we're going to tell you a little bit more about what she does when we get to the end. But um, again, Jess has an amazing personal story to share with us today. Um, And so welcome, Jess. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. So we're going to jump right in and I'm going to ask you, just give us a quick rundown. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. So my name is Jess. I am 38 years old. I'm a mom to two boys. They are eight and 11 years old. Um, I live in South Jersey, and uh, anyone who's actually from New Jersey knows that South Jersey is a real place. (laughs) Um, So I got into fitness. Well, I mentioned being a gym class dropout, so I actually did nothing athletic at all as a youth or a teen. No sports, legitimately failed gym class one year. Uh, I've heard folks be like, how do you even fail gym? I did. (laughs) Um, So I guess in my very early 20s, I got, um, so I started out kind of on like calorie counting to try to manage my weight. And I was doing a bit of working out, just trying different things out. Um, I started I was a student at Temple and we had a nice indoor track. And so I started just like jogging on the track because it seemed simple, right? Like right. <laughs> you just go on the track and jog around it. And like, I can do that. Somewhere along the lines, I came across a women's only triathlon. Uh, it was a race series called She Rocks mm-hmm. that doesn't even exist anymore. But they had a mentorship program where they would match you with a more experienced triathlete to try to help get you well, to the start line first and then across the finish line. And I came home and told my husband, who was probably maybe my fiance at the time, okay. that I was like, I'm going to do this triathlon. And he was like, but you don't really swim or <laughs> bike and you don't even really run that much and I was like well I will and I'm going to do this this. were you about were you thinking about losing weight though or were you just trying to get healthy I guess I was trying to just be healthier but I think that underneath of it there definitely was a desire to like manage my weight I had like as a kid, I'm the oldest of four kids. I was always the chubby one. Um, my siblings all tended to be a little bit leaner. And like, I just was always the, the chubby kid. Like I remember my brother would like make fun of me and call me thunder thighs and stuff when I was a kid. Oh and God. like, we had the brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as a kid, like that just felt so horrible. And I always felt like the fat one among these, you know, string bean children. Um, And so I had just sort of always struggled with my weight. I mean, I think the first time that I came home, like, 
I'm going to go on a diet. I was probably about nine or 10 years old. You know, I, I didn't like, I'm not sure what even my diet plan was and I didn't really do anything. And through my teen years, like I maybe made sporadic efforts to try to control my weight nothing real consistent or like concerted. It wasn't until my early 20s that uh, I really started to feel like I need to do something. Yeah, so it kind of started with that triathlon. And that was really my first foray into anything particularly athletic. And I, (laughs) right, (laughs) just (laughs) go for it. I trained my butt off. And I mean, I got across the finish line. It was not necessarily a beautiful finish. I like I crossed the finish line and very shortly thereafter threw my guts up in a trash can. But I got home with my shiny little medal that said I finished the She Rocks Triathlon. And I was just proud as heck of myself that I went out and tried something that I knew was going to be challenging for me. And I applied myself to it and stuck to a plan. And like, I did the darn thing, you know, it's not like crazy long. I think it took me maybe about two hours to finish. It was pretty awesome and just felt really good to like accomplish that, you know, After that, from there, where, where was your head in terms of, you know, your health and your weight? You know, I still at that point in my entire adult life, I don't think I have ever been like normal on the BMI. I have always been overweight. Mm -hmm. And I think that I felt so great about that accomplishment, but my body weight was, I was still not happy with my body weight. It was like, I'm still overweight. I am doing all this and yet (laughs) my weight just won't go down, you know? And so I was like, I was doing mostly the right things, like Mm -hmm. what they tell you to do to, to manage your weight and just was sort of stuck Mm -hmm. at this point. So shortly thereafter, I got pregnant with my first son and uh, I really thought that I would continue to work out and train through pregnancy, but I had horrible morning sickness. Um, So I was getting up at like 5am to go and meet people to run. And as soon as like my feet hit the floor, I would be puking. And, you know, eventually when I hit kind of second trimester, the morning sickness passed, I got back to like some working out, but obviously you can't go quite as hard as you can. And interestingly, maybe um, the practice that I was going to while I was pregnant I lost some weight in the first trimester from throwing up mm-hmm. and she had suggested to me that it would be good if I just didn't gain weight during my pregnancy and stayed at that weight that I was at. She said, you know, because my BMI was in the overweight range, she was like, you know, if you just watch what you eat for the rest of your pregnancy and you just didn't gain any weight, that would be good. And it's not like I didn't lose an insane amount. Of, it was, I don't know, like five or 10 pounds I lost in the first trimester. So it wasn't like a crazy amount of weight or not crazy relative to my body weight, I guess. That still was just kind of like, wow, that's a little bit harsh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe. I'd be questioning that. You know. Um, She also, so it was a birth center, you know, they did water births. She had said that I would not be a good candidate for a water birth because I was too big. And that if anything bad happened, that like, it would be too hard to get me out of the tub out of like the birth tub. It's like, okay. So I ended up with that son having a C-section. He was, uh, he was just breech and he has been a stubborn little thing. (laughs) Yes. Um, So he ended up being in a C-section and she was encouraging me to get back to working out at like about four or six weeks after Mm. he was born. And I had, uh, you know, some other people that were like, that's a little bit soon for a C-section. Yeah. But (laughs) I mean, you were plagued with worrying about your weight through the entire pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And I think that it, in um, like health at every size communities, we talk a lot about fat stigma and particularly fat stigma in healthcare settings. So when a person who is overweight or obese goes to a healthcare provider, it is very common that no matter what is going on, that it's like, well, just lose some weight. And 
maybe that'll fix everything as if everything that could potentially be wrong with a person is connected to their body weight. Yeah, that bias is real. Yeah. And I'm kind of on the like, I don't know, I've seen people refer to people like in my size as being like small fat. So like I'm overweight or like sometimes obese, but like I'm not like in that large of a body. And so if I encounter that, I can't imagine what it's like for people who are much bigger than I am. Because sometimes you go in and they're just quick to pin everything on the weight. Or like I had um, a while where I was seeing a rheumatologist and every single time that I saw this woman, I would get a lecture about my weight every time. And it gets to a point where like I would walk in sort of like braced for it, just like kind of like physically like trying to steal my nerves and be ready for this lecture that I knew that I was going to get. This is yeah. why, you know, obese people avoid healthcare sometimes. Yes. Some obese people. Absolutely. Why, right? So you Absolutely. Could have very easily, easily canceled that appointment, right? Because you yes. don't want to deal with, with that. Um, so you have your first child, you're worried about your weight through your pregnancy, and now you're post-C-section and feel like you got to get right back on that horse, right? Yeah. And I can remember being like really frustrated with myself and like ashamed of myself. And you know that like just the C-section scar is a little bit of an emotional, like it looks bad and that's ugh, just kind of a thing. But it was like, I just remember feeling like I need to like get my body back. Mm -hmm. And all the while struggling with adapting to being a new mom and not sleeping. And, you know, we weren't really like we were financially okay, but not in an awesome place. So you're trying to juggle all these different things and simultaneously feeling ashamed about my body and frustrated with myself that I'm not at the weight that I think that I should be at. Yeah. And therefore and, I'm not good enough. Right. And I mean, eventually like I got back to working out. It took a little bit longer, I guess, than I would have hoped, but I got back to it. And then, you know, we had our second kid. I had a, a vaginal delivery that, well, I guess you're going to get the whole story. <laughs> we had planned for a home birth. The midwife missed the main event. So he was delivered by myself and my husband. He was born, you know, I guess once he started to kind of descend, from there, he was born pretty quickly. And he was like nine pounds and four ounces. So I had some tearing and the midwife didn't do the greatest job stitching the tearing. And it healed not well at all. I ended up having to have surgery about two months after he was born to try to fix what was not right. And so that was, it was like two months of like, I was just in pain and like, it didn't sitting hurt, standing hurt, walking hurt, like just everything, everything hurt. And you're trying to like get through that with two little ones. Yes. So I have a toddler and a newborn and I'm trying to do that and breastfeed and, you know, recover. So they did this surgery and then that surgery, it almost like resets the healing clock. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they tell you like six weeks to be cleared for activity. So after that surgery, it's like, all right, well, now it's six weeks from now, I will say, and I don't know that this is a, a common experience with that type of issue. But the pain was better within a few days after that surgery, it was like, Oh, wow, this is already like not as bad as it was. But after that, so I was able to resume some activities, but I still had like a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction. There just was still a lot of pain, I ended up eventually needing to go through like pelvic floor physical therapy and rehabilitation. Wow. So this was a long road. Yes. And like my sweet little baby was, he was like a toddler by the time that I got it most of the way resolved. Um, so this whole time that all this is happening, you obviously, you know, that that part of your health needed the most of your attention, but you must've been feeling like 
if working out is how you controlled your weight and you can't do it, you must have been really getting, you know, anxious about that or antsy, were you? Yeah. And I'll tell you, there was a point where when he was about a year old, I weighed more then than I did at the very end of my pregnancy. And I mean, I can tell you why, like emotionally, I was going through the ringer, like trying to parent a newborn and a toddler and, you know, going through all of that pain and trying to unravel that whole problem being, you know, kind of physically laid up, like I couldn't really work out in a meaningful or consistent way. And then, you know, there was definitely like emotional eating. And I also was working kind of strange hours to try to, you know, like I've talked to a lot of moms who do similar things, like you're trying to maximize your ability to be home with your kids. Like I was trying to be a stay at home mom and a working mom at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can remember being at work, working this sort of 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. And I couldn't really eat dinner before I left. So I'd be really hungry there and I'd hit the vending machine and get like chips and a Coke. And I think that trying to survive right exactly exactly and so i am like feeling frustrated with myself that like oh i'm getting so fat and like how am i like heavier now than i was when i had a whole almost 10 pound baby <laughs> like i literally was just trying to get through it that's the life of a mom and, and yeah it's a tough one it's yes a tough one being a mom yes. is really hard. Being a working mom is way hard. Yeah. Eventually, we got most of that kind of sorted out. I um, got back to running. I eventually decided I was going to try to train for a half marathon. True to form, I picked a race that was in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. So I don't know if you know that area at all, but it's like kind of it, it's right along the Appalachian Trail. I picked, you know, not some nice flat course down by the Jersey Shore or something. No, I'm going to go to the mountains and run this insanely hilly half marathon. So once again, I trained my butt off. Um, I went, I did my race. It took me a pretty long time, but yeah, I finished. And again, it was just that sense of accomplishment. And like, I took on this really big challenging thing and like, I did it. I finished this. I think for me, part of what I enjoy about it is that um, taking on a challenging thing and pushing myself to see like what I can do, you know, like you're stronger than you think that you are, you can do more things than you think that you can do. Is it going to take some time and some commitment to to training and preparing? Like, yes. But you know, from a physical standpoint, like I can pick up 250 pounds now. But if I start where I am and gradually progress it, eventually I'll pick up 250 pounds. I think I really enjoy that aspect of pushing myself physically and, uh, you know, getting that sort of mental and emotional sense of accomplishment and achievement yeah. when I see what I can do. So what was going on with your eating at that point? You know, were you still just trying different diet principles here and there? Yeah. So I think I, and you still weren't happy. Yeah. I kept trying different things and like, I would lose some weight and gain it back mm -hmm. and lose some weight again and gain it back. And it kind of was never even this like huge range of weight that I functioned in. It was like, you know, maybe within about a 40-ish pound range, I would lose 10, gain five or 10, maybe lose 20, gain back another 20 or 30. And I tried a lot, a lot of different things. I mean, there were like meal plans that were very detailed and regimented and anyone can stick to a plan like that for a little while. And if it's kind of restricted calorie plan, you'll probably lose weight on it. Weight, right. But can you do that for years for your life? Probably not. So I tried a lot of different things. Eventually, I got to a point where I had done, um, I, I don't like to throw names out there, but like a large commercially available weight loss plan. Mm -hmm. And I lost weight on it and hit a point where like, you know, I plateaued, I guess. Um, and I was sort of stuck at that point. And I was still not happy, no matter what I lost, it was like never enough for me. So I found a 
coach who was doing one of those like eight week bikini body transformation things. And Hi. she, I'm turned off by the name right away. Right. <laughs> I signed up for her plan. It also included uh, like supplements from a multi-level marketing company. Um, I was like willing to do whatever it took, you know? I got on these supplements. She gave me, it was another like very regimented meal plan, followed her meal plan, but she really wanted me to do like her workouts. There was, so I was still doing some training for running. And I had, at that point, I had gotten into trail running where I was doing like really long distances and out on the trails. And uh, like I had gotten into this habit of on my very long run days, I would take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with me to eat kind of mid run. Like you're out for hours, you got like, you got to eat something right. of an actual substance. And I found that PBJ was something like it gave me like it felt like I had something in my stomach rather than just drinking Gatorade or something. You know, it seems like it's a good mix of some quick sugar. You got some protein, you got some uh, more complex carbs that are going to last a little bit longer. It worked for me and it sat well on my stomach. So it was like, I had found this thing that worked for me yeah. and she wanted me to stop doing that because it didn't fit into mm -hmm. like her plan. Her she plan. gave one free meal or, you know, cheat meal. She didn't like to use the word cheat meal, whatever, cement call it whatever you want. And what I was finding was on that free meal, like I remember going out to a restaurant with my family and I ate, like it was my free meal night. I ate my entire meal, like an appetizer, then was like eating the fries off of other people's, you know, I got yeah. kids and a sister. And uh, so I'm cleaning everyone else's plates. And problem. yeah, this is this is my, my one free meal. I'm getting dessert and I leave feeling like garbage. Like I'm so yeah. overstuffed and my stomach hurts and I just feel like bleh, like yeah. terrible. So I started to come to the conclusion that I had a binge eating disorder. I don't know, I'm a social worker. We like to diagnose ourselves with things. So I bought this, like a self-help book about how to stop binge eating. And in that book, uh, she introduced the principles of intuitive eating. And at one of the first exercises or activities in the book is to make a list of every way that you have tried to lose weight. I don't know if this book included it, but when I get people to do this, I like to have them also talk about like, what did it cost you? What did, and did it work? So did it work? What did it cost you? And cost in terms of both actual money, but also like in terms of your social life, in terms of your family life, in terms of sanity. <laughs> yeah, because that diet you were just on, the eight-week bikini body cost you, I mean, you thought you had an eating disorder. Right. There's a cost. <laughs> right. Okay, um, so, so you have people, or you made the list. So I made the list. And to be honest, I didn't even realize until I did that how many different ways I had tried to lose weight. And to be honest, most of them worked in the very short term. I can lose 10 or 20 pounds pretty quickly and easily, but it never stays off. And it is not good for your body to do this yo-yo dieting to you know, have weight that goes up and down and up and down. You know, there's a lot of different health ramifications of doing that so from these principles and they're starting to make a lot of sense. It's starting to click, right? And okay. one of the things that they talk about in intuitive eating is that restricting is what causes binging. So anytime that I put a food like off limits, that's going to increase my cravings for that food. If you tell me that I can't eat a cupcake, then the only thing I want is a cupcake. <laughs> You're dreaming about cupcakes. Right? Because, <laughs> because I can't have cupcakes. When a food is off limits, that's going to just increase your craving and your sort of obsessing about that food. And also it increases your binging. So they talk about like last supper eating, you know, that sort of idea of like, oh, I'm going to get back on track on Monday. Monday. And so then what do you do on Sunday? You eat all of it because it's like, well, this is my last chance before I get back on track on Monday. If you just quit dieting, like literally quit dieting, then nothing's off limits. I never need to have a last supper binge because if I want an Oreo cookie, I can eat an Oreo cookie today and tomorrow and the next day and 
whenever I want. So I don't need to eat the whole box. I can have more tomorrow. <laughs> it's not a big deal. So intuitive eating does not promote restriction. No. So from that book, that was what first introduced me to the concept of intuitive eating. Like I had never even really heard of this before. I then went and bought um, the original intuitive eating book that is, it's just called Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. So there's a few different editions of it now, and some of the language has shifted a little bit in the revisions, but the general principles have remained the same. And so there's 10 different principles. Um, the first one is reject the diet mentality. They talk about kind of getting angry at diet culture, that we've been sold this sort of bill of false goods, that a lot of things are blamed on being fat when really there's that uh, fat bias and there's stigma when you go into healthcare providers that people in larger bodies avoid healthcare. How about let's talk about that problem, right? Let's talk about how that contributes to adverse outcomes for people who are overweight. But I think, and maybe this is my little radical side show in a little bit, but there's not money to be made in trying to help underweight people gain weight. There is a ton of money in trying to sell people things that will help them to lose weight and things from I you've seen everything yeah. weight weight loss they're it's all you know they're all in my house all <laughs> so but it's shakes pills um surgery um hypnosis I mean there's tons of different products out there that promise to be like this is gonna be the thing that's gonna help you to lose weight and then when it fails multi-billion dollar when it fails people don't blame the product right? They blame themselves. They blame themselves when it doesn't work. It's, well, I just didn't have the discipline or I just lack the willpower. They blame themselves when these things fall apart and don't work instead of being angry at the culture and the business that pushes all this on us. Kind of start there. And then the second principle is honor your hunger. It's easy to kind of think like, oh, well, eat when you're hungry. That's obvious. But if you've dieted off and on, like I have, you kind of get disconnected from from your body's natural hunger cues. There's also, you know, obviously we talk about emotional eating, right? I feel sort of two ways <laughs> about emotional eating. One, I don't think that emotional eating is necessarily the villain that people make it out to be because there's a lot of reasons that people eat emotionally. Celebrating a party with cake or drinks or whatever, that is also emotional eating. Like people eat for joy as well as for sadness or anxiety or whatever. So I think one that it's not the villain that people make it out to be. But also the other way that I feel about it is that I think it's important to, if you are going to emotionally eat, to kind of be mindful and tuned into yourself about it. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I had a very stressful day and I came in and just wanted to eat all the things. I took that moment to say, is this really what I want? Am I really hungry or am I just trying to eat to make myself feel better emotionally. And after I had eaten my dinner, I was like, okay, I'm not hungry now. This is mm -hmm. purely just emotional. Then is eating this food going to do the thing that I want it to do? Am I really going to feel better after I eat this? Is this really going to make me feel what I'm looking to feel. And, you know, the answer was no, like, no, it's not really like, I think that I want this, but it's, it's not really going to make me feel better. Is, um, that, is that mindfulness and that moment where you stop and have that awareness? Is, is that part of intuitive eating? Yes. I think that's part of the honoring your hunger, but also there's a principle later and they're sort of in an order where you kind of need to work on them in that order because if you can't honor your hunger mm -hmm. and eat when your body is telling you hey girl it's time to get something to eat if you can't do that then it's going to be really hard to like later on honor your fullness because if your body is in that like over hungry state you're mm -hmm. going to overeat like you're going to eat more than what you really need to because your body's like oh my gosh you're starving me i need to eat all the food one of the principles is honor your feelings without using food and one of the things so and that's a later principle <laughs> 
But one of the things that they talk about with that is like, and this is a thing that clinically, like I've worked on with people, it's okay if, you know, food is sometimes a coping skill, but you don't want it to be your only coping skill, right? So we need to have sort of an array of things at our disposal that we can use to cope with difficult feelings. Yeah, because the feelings are going to keep coming. It's like, yes. Absolutely. And I think that when we eat for reasons other than hunger, that it's harder to tune into feelings of fullness or satisfaction. Like if I'm just eating because I'm stressed, it feels like I can just kind of keep eating and never really be satisfied. Where if I'm eating because I'm hungry, usually there's a point at which it's like, all right, yeah, I'm good. And again, I don't want to say that like there is no time or space for emotional eating because, and I just posted on my Instagram, Instagram about like last week I went out for a family bike ride and like it was a cold day and just like on the way back it was like oh man I really could go for like hot chocolate popcorn when I get in the house and was I really I mean I guess maybe I was a little bit hungry but like no that's emotional eating and it's you know I want to sit down with my family and enjoy these feelings of connection and warmness and and like that is emotional eating is that to be completely avoided no, I don't think so because that's enjoyable, right? That's mm -hmm. it's pleasant to enjoy popcorn and hot chocolate with my family after a little cold weather bike ride. So I don't think it's the villain that sometimes people make it out to be. But at the same time, I think it is important to become pretty aware of it mm -hmm. and have it be a more conscious decision rather than just I am stressed. So I am going to stand at the pantry and eat every single thing that's in here. Yeah. And oh. never feel satisfied because the stress is still there. <laughs> yeah, you're not fixing it. It makes such logical sense, you know, uh, it really does. And, and I think when you when you finally realize, you know, we have been heavily influenced by culture and by the food industry, just recognizing that alone opens up some space in your brain to to read these principles and go, wow, this is where the truth is, right? Right. Like and said. I think in the intuitive eating book, they talk about this a little bit, but there's another book health at every size by Linda Bacon. And in health at every size, they get a bit more into kind of the like bigger factors at play. So like those government subsidies and, you know, the high fructose mm -hmm. corn syrup and, you know, the way in which food industries impact like government recommendations for a healthy mm -hmm. diet. Increasingly, I think that if you want to distill sort of health advice down, it's like drink more water, eat more plants, move your body regularly. Like if you want to break it down to a simple, like eat more plants, you know, in most Americans, like we're getting a good amount of like protein meats. I mean, maybe I don't, there's obvious exceptions to that, but most of us could benefit from eating more plants. And I think about things like, uh, like when I was on that, the eight week bikini boot camp, she wanted me to a half a banana was a full serving of a banana. Like if you load up a smoothie with a bunch of fruit, like you can end up with, it's kind of a large amount of sugar, but it's a lot of fruit. It's not tasty cakes. I'm saying tasty cakes. Nobody else is going to know what tasty cakes are because I'm a South Jersey girl, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not Twinkies. There we go. There's a more nationally known. It's not Twinkies for breakfast. You're eating a whole heap of blueberries with, you know, some yogurt or whatever in it. And I think that restricting things like fruits is just really weird to me. The more that I think about it, you know, like half a banana, like, come on, God made it one banana. Right, <laughs> Even put it in a, put it in a neat little package. <laughs> no, but I think oh, your point is that it comes from the earth. How can it be off? <laughs> How can it be the devil? Right. So, so this book changed your life and the yes. principles changed your life and sort of mentally set you free from the bondage that diet culture had kept you in. For yes, years. yes. And I, like exactly how you said it, like set me free from the bondage of diet culture. How long ago was that? It's been about two years. Yeah. So prior to that, I had a uh, become certified as a group fitness instructor and, you know, was sort of working on a career transformation. And after like my eventual goal, there is a certification available through Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Resch in intuitive eating. And I would like to get that sort of 
certification. It's coming. I will get there. Um, (laughs) But I, uh, so I got certified as a personal trainer as well. I actually did that just this year, kind of Mm -hmm. while we were still on like shutdown. So what the way that I try to work with my clients is weight neutral fitness. I think that when you're doing fitness that is very deeply entrenched in diet culture and this weight loss mentality, people will embark on a fitness journey. Sometimes they will lose some weight, sometimes they will not. And if your goal was to lose weight, and you start working out, but then you don't lose weight, I think people get frustrated and they throw in the towel like, it's not working. It doesn't work. When they were sleeping better, they were feeling stronger, they were feeling more energized, but I didn't lose weight. So it didn't work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of health benefits to regular movement that have nothing to do with your weight. It's going to, I mean, I go into doctors and they're always kind of amazed at my pulse. I have a, you know, right? Yeah. 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 I have a pretty low, I had, I remember one time the, um, the nurse looking at me and kind of being like, do you like do sports or something? Right. You can't possibly be an athlete at your side. Right. That's what she's Exactly. And so she was kind of like, I, I, this, it doesn't match what's right. going on here. And I'm like, uh, yes, I do sports or something. <laughs> but yes, I have very good blood pressure. My pulse is, you know, very healthy. So there's all these other health benefits working out even in the absence of dietary changes will help to regulate your insulin production. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're diabetic, get into some regular movement. I'm not saying it's going to be like the one thing that's going to fix everything, but it's got a lot of benefits beyond weight loss. So like, let's stop focusing on weight. Let's look at all those other benefits, focus on that stuff. And I see sometimes fitness professionals who are like, well, yeah, it is about the mental transformation, but then they still want to post these side by side, you know, big body, little body pictures. And it's like, if it's about the mental transformation, then what's with the side by sides? Because to me, that looks like a physical and an aesthetic transformation, not a mental one. If we're going for the mental transformation, like, let me hear from your clients how much better they're feeling, you know? And I, I guess the other thing is like, I want fitness that is empowering to people and that feels strengthening and enriching to themselves and their lives rather than fitness that is shame-based and is used as a bully club to make them feel crummy. And honestly, that has caused a shift in my own workouts. Mm -hmm. Like I've started to kind of question, like I was running super duper long races and I'm not saying that I would never go back to that. But I got to a point where it was like, I'm spending like hours and hours every weekend out on the trails by myself training for this race while I got these two little dudes here that I'm not hanging out. And then I come home and I'm tired, you know, like I'm wore out. So I don't have energy to do stuff with them or, you know, or I would go and do it, but I'm like just dragging myself through whatever. And so I started to question like is this the best use of my energy and myself mm-hmm. like right now um again like there definitely is uh like i get some enjoyment and satisfaction out of like those really big races and big accomplishments but i'm just not sure that that's what i want to do with myself right now you know yeah but you're asking yourself the question which is the most important part yeah so you um you're teaching people how to think differently about fitness and about uh, physical fitness as well as eating. And you're doing this in a group setting right now. I'm doing, um, group fitness classes. I teach several classes every Mm -hmm. week. Um, my whole schedule is up on my website at enlightenwellllc.com. Um, I also do personal training. I am currently in the midst of running an eight week body positive boot camp. (laughs) maybe slightly inspired. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. We started on January 1st and uh, I limited it to 12 people and I can't believe I actually sold it out. That was really exciting for me. It's definitely a thing that I 
we'll probably do again in the future. I'm not sure like when exactly, but uh, each week my participants get a journaling exercise. So like something to kind of work on to write about, um, you know, things that guide them towards like body acceptance and to looking at their relationship with their body. Um, you know, like our first exercise was to write a letter of gratitude towards your body. And I think a lot of us, you know, like I can think about when like after my C-section being like so angry at my body, feeling like my body had failed by like not having a like vaginal birth, you know, really just like my mind focused on that, like, like my body failed me, <laughs> rather than like, my body grew a whole healthy baby, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then my body recovered from that surgery while taking care of that whole healthy baby. Sometimes just to focus on like, what can you appreciate about your body? It's so easy to tear your body apart. Yeah, so we have our journal activity and then a, I called it a practice skill. And most of the practice skills are centered around the intuitive eating principles. Um, a lot of work on tuning in to your body, kind of using that mindfulness to pay attention to your hunger, to your fullness to what your body needs today and then a gentle nutrition skill actually it's the last principle of intuitive eating is gentle nutrition and i really love the way that they frame it as gentle nutrition right because i think that people get like way in the weeds sometimes with like are beans good are beans bad should you eat tofu should you not eat tofu <laughs> like even you go back to like the egg debate right mm -hmm. like eggs are good eggs are bad today it's butter tomorrow it's margarine so it's gentle nutrition. I think that there is some general nutritional advice that is not going to steer most people wrong, right? Mm -hmm. eat, eat more plants. Drink more water. Drink more water. And I think that when you have dieted a lot or tried many different diets, you followed a lot of different sets of rules. And these gentle nutrition principles allow you to just get back to sort of common sense ideas about eating in a healthful way. Think, like cook more meals at home. Try to decrease the amount of processed food that you eat. Mm -hmm. That's not to say never eat processed food, like grab a granola bar sometimes or stuck on Oreos today. <laughs> 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 like they're processed as hell, but I'll eat some Oreos sometimes. You know, overall you want to, if you can opt for a less processed version, like if I'm gonna cook rice, if I can choose brown rice instead of white rice, it's the less processed version, it's gonna be more nutritious. So basic, really. Yes, very common sense. Yes stuff that I think that a lot of these, you know, different diet things that are floating around out there have just led us so far, so far away, partly because there is not money in telling people eat brown rice instead of white rice or eat the whole fruit, eat the whole raw fruit when possible, instead of eating, you know, some weird mashed up banana powder or something. Right. I don't know. So I mean, I think that that's a large part of how we've gotten so far away from from this this i just picture you know listening to you um in the first time that we spoke about intuitive eating because i i hadn't heard of this before and some of the principles yes i i'm familiar with but not in this context um it sounds like i your clients must feel a great relief I, do you hear that from them do they say this is a relief yeah so in working with boot camp folks i uh the one of one of my um nutrition skills a couple of weeks ago was to try to eat a vegetable with at least two meals out of the day right and i was so excited a client of mine posted a picture of her lunch and it was a slice of pizza with a side of raw baby carrots and i'm like I love this so much because, you know, we get into this like either or mindset and no, that is perfect. Eat some carrots with your pizza. And someone, someone commented, she says, I'm loving the nutrition thing this week, was already planning for it to be part of my plan, especially for lunches. I work at a school and ate a turkey sandwich like every day for lunch last semester. And that is a thing I can totally relate to just getting like set into a thing that you think yeah. is like a good thing. 
But then she's eating like just this sandwich with no vegetables, no, by, you know, adding some vegetables, you're getting, you know, a wider array of nutrients, you're getting that really good fiber, that's going to make you feel good. And, you know, make your digestive system work well, you know, I had another person who was saying that it's been so helpful, I filled my brain with such a mess of food and fitness rules and strategies over the years. And I'm so tired of never living up to my own expectations, that my boobs and stomach and face and arms need to be smaller. That's powerful. Yeah, I had a client sent me a message last night, like I got goosebumps all over when I read this message, but she was talking about the emotional eating. And um, one of the things that, you know, I started to introduce that concept of like, just take a pause and check in, like, what is it that you really want? Mm -hmm. And um, she sent me this message last night that the one thing I'm really happy about through this journey so far is that I become more mindful about eating and paying attention to how the food makes me feel and stopping to think before I mindlessly munch. Like I love that being able to stop and think about how it's going to make you feel right. Because I've definitely done that thing where I eat something and then I feel really crappy and not even crappy, like embarrassed or ashamed or guilty because part of this is about letting go of all that. If I eat a whole box of Oreos, like, yeah, I'm going to feel physically crummy, but there's no room for shame. There's no room for shame about that. But physically, I'm not going to feel good, right? Like that doesn't feel good in my belly. I feel tired and just like, yeah. So being able to check in, like if I eat a cupcake after lunch and then maybe in my head, I'm like, oh, I kind of want another cupcake. Am I going to feel good if I eat a second cupcake? Probably not. That's a lot of sugar and it's just not going to feel great. And I'm going to feel really tired and fatigued later. And that's not how I want to feel today. So you're teaching them to make that connection. Yeah. It's so important. I just love that this is so positive. I mean, Every program, almost every program I've ever been on, it just, there's so much negativity associated with it. You know, first of all, because we're, we, we either don't get to goal or we get to goal and revert back to old eating immediately. There's just so much shame and, and God, I just don't think we need to feel any worse about ourselves. Right. Like than we already do. Like we, it just, it doesn't serve us. It right. doesn't serve us because I can't sit around feeling like crap about me all day. I can't. Cause then what yeah. kind of a mother am I? What kind of a wife am I? What, how am I, you know? So I, yeah. love, I just love the positivity from from your program. And And I, you know, talk about like as a mother. And I think one of the things that has been so powerful for me about this is using this with my kids. My kids are, interestingly, uh, my first one is probably built a bit like me. Mm -hmm. It sounds like maybe like my husband was when he was a kid. He's a little bit of a chunkier kid. Mm -hmm. He was a chubby baby who turned into a chubby toddler. And he leaned out for a little while. And now he's like, I, you know, our doctor had at one point tried to like, oh, he's overweight. And I was like, okay, we're gonna stop that because his body is fine. Um, My other kid is a little bit leaner. I don't know, like that just Mm -hmm. is his body. And it's weird because he's the nine pounder at birth, but he Mm -hmm. somehow, (laughs) he leaned out later. Yeah, they're watching you. You're you're teaching them. And so my 11 year old just recently was, he was, uh, I I don't even know what brought the subject Mm -hmm. up, but he's just like, yeah, I'm a thick boy. And like, that's, Like that was it. There was no like, oh, I'm so fat. I hate my body. It was like, I'm a thick boy, almost with a sense of like pride. Like, yeah, 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 I'm a thick boy. And I was like, this is, (laughs) this is what I'm talking about. You know, and he's a pretty active kid. I mean, he definitely gets his tablet time, (laughs) but overall he's fairly active and he loves um, hiking. He doesn't like like running or he's not really like a, he's not a sports ball kid, (laughs) but he loves to hike and he loves to bike. And so do the stuff that he enjoys. Why am I going to torment him with some sport that he hates? Just to get his, his minutes in. Right. No, no. Like 
we do the stuff that he likes. And in the intuitive eating book, they actually talk a bit about um, applying it with children and as a parent. And it is, um, it can be really transformative to start to apply this stuff with your children, because absolutely what you said, like they are watching. And even if you are not shaming them about their bodies, if you're shaming yourself about your body, they're hearing that. Gosh, I remember so much of that with my grandmother and my mom. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandmother was like a kind of smaller, medium sized woman, but just always picking apart her body. And like, does this make me look fat? And when that's in the air that you breathe growing up, like you, you pick that up. Absolutely. So, you know, our kids, they have the power to uh, change this negative diet culture we live in, but yeah, we have to be the teachers. So yes, I feel like we almost have a responsibility yeah. to make it positive. And it's funny when you see, when you're someone who's been overweight their whole life, and I can say that because I have, and I have a child and I, all of a sudden I'm very aware of what I'm doing in front of him in, in how it's going to influence him. And I don't want him to feel like that. I don't right. want my kid to feel like I felt it right. Was, it was awful. I love this. I love you. I love the po- positivity <laughs> that just radiates from you. And I love what you're doing. I think it's great. And I'm, I'm, it sounds like your clients are happy and, uh, You've given us a lot of stuff to think about. I know people are going to want to buy the intuitive eating book. Yeah. I wish you continued success in your, in your journey with your, your work. And I know you're going to be getting that certification soon. So we want to hear when that happens. All right. But if I have any listeners who are looking for you, um, you said enlightenwellllc.com. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I am on both Facebook and Instagram at enlightenwell. Okay. You can also email me at jessbplcsw at gmail.com. So hit me up wherever. Put on uh, these, uh, this stuff. I'll put uh, a link and your contact info um, under the podcast description. Awesome. Um, so Jess, I want to thank you. This thank you a- so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to, to get this podcast out. And um, I'm sure that listeners are, are really excited about some of the things that you introduced to them today. So thank you so much for awesome. sharing your story and your expertise. And this girl puts out is officially signing off. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real-life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.